As I head out, I'm going to invite Madeline to come and give us our gospel reading, which is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. So this is the last in our four-part series looking at the priorities of Jesus. And the idea is that we begin this year by making Jesus' priorities our priorities. Uh, So we've looked at Jesus' call to follow him. Uh, We've looked at the cross, the fact that Jesus uh, laid down his life for us, uh, but also the fact that he exhorts us to lay down our lives for him. Uh, we've looked at commandment, Jesus' commandment to uh, love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And now we come to commission, the great commission. Uh, Jesus expects us to be disciples who are disciple makers. Uh, so call, cross, commandment, and commission. Uh, what has become known as the Great Commission is the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he went to be with his Father in heaven. In other words, this is really important. I mean, even for us, when we part company with people we love, the last thing we say to them isn't some bit of niff-naff or trivia, is it? Uh, last year, I flew to Europe to attend my brother's wedding in Hungary. Uh, I was uh, going to be away for two weeks. My uh, Tissa and the kids, they came to the airport to say goodbye. Uh, it was quite a long goodbye. And uh, when that moment finally came, when we had to part company, I didn't say, oh, by the way, I think the recycling bin is quite full. Or I, I just remembered I left a trowel outside by the vegetable patch. I, I didn't say, oh, could you, could you screw the cap back on my shaving cream? I think I forgot to do it. No. We prayed. We hugged. I said, I love you. I, I, um, I looked at the kids. I said something like, I love you. Be good. I'll see you in two weeks. And then, I love you. Bye-bye. And then uh, lots and lots, millions of Bye-byes until I finally uh, disappeared from sight. Now, I don't think that's exactly how it was between Jesus and the disciples. Uh, But the point is, the last thing I said was the thing that I most wanted my family to know, understand, and remember, that I love them. And I think that's true of what Jesus said to his disciples before he went to be with his Father in heaven. So we have to take the Great Commission really seriously. So the 11 disciples, 11 because uh, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, had hung himself. 11 disciples went to the uh, mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when Jesus came to them, they worshipped him. And I find it amazing that Matthew includes this detail, but he also says, and some doubted. I mean, if you were going to make all this up, 
with the intention of convincing people that it's true, that that's just not a that's just not something you would include that some doubted. But uh, Matthew uh, wasn't making this up. He was simply recording exactly what happened. And he's very honest and open about the real human feelings and emotions that they felt. And Jesus begins by saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority over every cell, every molecule, every atom that exists in the universe and everything that exists beyond the universe, if there is anything uh, beyond that. Uh, Jesus has authority over my life. He has authority over your life. He has authority over every uh, human being and over every living creature. But Jesus doesn't force his authority upon us. Uh, we can choose to ignore Jesus' authority and do things our own way. God will allow us to genuinely say no to him because he prizes our free will. Uh, but that doesn't alter the fact that Jesus is the one in authority. And authority in this case means that Jesus has the right and the power to do all the things that he does. He has the right and the power. For someone to have absolute authority, they need both of those things, the right and the power. You know, imagine a large, powerful nation invades a much smaller, weaker nation. In fact, we don't need to imagine it's happening right now. The aggressor has the power to invade, but not the right. The nation that's being invaded has the right to defend itself, but not necessarily the power. So in this case, uh, neither nation has absolute authority. Jesus has the right and the power to do everything that he does. Uh, now, we can harbor very negative feelings about authority figures often, and uh, sometimes for very good reason. But Jesus is entirely trustworthy. He's perfectly good and pure and he will never abuse or misuse his authority in the way that human beings so often do. Now, Jesus is giving his disciples a clear mission. He's giving us a clear mission, and we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, but Jesus is the one in authority. Jesus is the one stipulating this mission. This is not optional for anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's think for a moment about the authority figures that we might encounter in everyday life. A, a policeman, let's say. So um, imagine that you're in your car, you're, you're parked at the side of the road. A policeman uh, walks over, uh, knocks on the window, you wind it down, says, excuse me, sir or madam, but you've got to move your car. You wouldn't say, yeah, cheers, I think I'm just going to leave the car here, thanks very much. I hope you wouldn't. Or... Um, Let's say you're at work and the big boss walks in, the CEO or whoever it is, and they say, right, we need to prioritize this. This is what needs to get done. You wouldn't say, nah, that's not my priority. You can do that. I've got better things to do. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't ignore a police officer or our boss at work or someone else as an authority. And yet when it comes to Jesus, who is the highest authority, Many Christians do pay lip service to the great commission that he has given us. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Making disciples is all about helping people to know, love, and serve Jesus and helping one another to become more like Jesus. It's not a short-term thing. Discipleship will last the duration of a person's life. But to make disciples, we must first be disciples. A disciple is not just a pupil or learner, but a follower, someone who lives their life in accordance with the teachings and example of the one they follow. So the first question to ask ourselves is, are we taking our own discipleship seriously? Are we hungry to read God's word, to understand it, to hear what God might be saying to us? Are we eager to join with God's people for worship and fellowship? Are we excited to come into God's presence through prayer and worship as a a daily personal discipline and as something that we do together collectively like now? If you've been a Christian for some time and your honest answer to those questions is kind of, or ish, or I don't really feel that kind of passion and excitement anymore, well, the remedy to that may well be to look again at the Great Commission. To make disciples, we must be disciples. And to stay in the race as a disciple, to stay on track with our Christian life, we must play a part in making disciples. So to make disciples, we must be disciples. But to remain on track as a disciple, to remain in the race, to keep on point with our Christian life, we must play a part in making disciples. If your spiritual enthusiasm is flatlining, it's probably one of two things. Either you're doing too much ministry and feeling burnt out, or you don't have a ministry that you're aware of. We are all called to engage in the Great Commission. We are all called to play a part in making disciples. But there are uh, a number of obstacles to this, things that can uh, disempower us and hinder us and distract us. Um, So let's look at some of those. And the, the first thing is time. A lot of us feel up against it most of the time as we try to juggle our responsibilities and commitments. Life is super busy, isn't it? Well, the three things um, that I'd say to this. Firstly, even though life is busy, I think it's fair to say that we do all waste a little bit of time. Uh, I'm not talking about reading a book or going for a walk. That's a good use of time. I'm not talking about uh, watching a film or our favorite television program. If it helps us unwind at the end of the day or the end of the week, again, that's a good use of time. On the other hand, watching endless hours of TV glued to a screen, watching rubbish, is not a good use of our time. Scrolling through mindless nonsense on our phones is not a good use of our time. So maybe we could replace some of the dead time with things that will really make a difference. And they don't have to be time-consuming things. Send someone an encouraging text with a Bible verse. Give someone a phone call. See how they're going. Offer to pray with them. 
spend time in prayer. Pray for a Christian brother or sister or for someone that you'd like to see brought into the kingdom. Meet a friend for coffee. Uh, doesn't, uh, it might be someone that's, uh, that doesn't yet know the Lord. Um, you don't have to beat them over the head with a Bible, but you might invite them to church. Make hubs and small groups a priority because that's an environment where you are discipled, but you also play a part in discipling others. There are so many ways that we can contribute to making disciples, and many of them take less time than we might normally waste looking at rubbish on social media. So that's the first thing. We can replace some of that dead time. The second thing is to realize that we only need to play a part in this. The whole thing doesn't rest on my shoulders or your shoulders as individuals. We're a church. We're a body. We do things together. The task of making disciples falls to all of us collectively. So your part might be to lead a hub, a small group, a Bible study. And that's obviously something that's quite involved. And I'd encourage anyone to, to think about that. But equally, your, your part might be uh, simply to invite people to church. And our role might change over the course of our lives as we've got more or less time to commit and as our situations change. So uh, we recognize that it's not all down to us, but we can play a part. Finally, we can incorporate our response to the Great Commission into our everyday lives. Um, when Tiss and I got married and I moved to London, the first job I had was a voids access facilitator for Harangay Borough Council. It was a very grandiose title, but really I was just a key courier moving keys from one office to another so that uh, council employees could get into the uh, different council homes that were owned. Um, but the point is, every day I'd see a lot of different people in a lot of different offices. And it wasn't long before I found myself having all kinds of faith-based conversations. And I was really surprised because people were starting to open up and tell me things about their lives. And they'd confide things in me. And uh, I'd find myself praying with people in their offices. It was a, it was a wonderful ministry. Uh, and someone might say, you're, you're describing evangelism there, not discipleship. But surely the Great Commission includes evangelism. You can't clean a fish unless you've caught it in the first place. And personally, I believe that discipleship begins a long time before someone becomes a Christian. Someone can be a disciple a long time before they make that um, firm and positive step to follow Christ. Um, it, it's one continuous process. So we might think that we haven't got time to have anything to do with discipleship, but the chances are we have, especially if we replace some of that dead time, if we recognize that we don't have to do everything, and if we incorporate our response to the Great Commission into our everyday lives and our daily interactions and uh, when we're connecting with people. So the next uh, disempowering obstacle is self-consciousness. Uh, this can be a sense of embarrassment when we're sharing our faith with someone who is a non-believer. And I don't think it's the case uh, that, you know, there's a lot of Christians who are ashamed of their faith. I think it's more a case that people just don't want to risk making a fool of themselves. 
Um, it's a very natural uh, feeling, I think. But the Apostle Paul wrote, we are fools for Christ. Not literally, of course. That's just how people often perceived Paul and the other apostles. A uh, big part of the Christian life is that we risk looking like fools in the eyes of the world. Uh, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God and vice versa. We will have to risk looking foolish at times. But I think one of the reasons that we fear looking foolish is very often that we don't feel that we can articulate our faith um, clearly and well. Maybe we feel that we don't know enough, that we don't understand enough. And if that's a concern for you, when you're sharing your faith, just stick with what you know. What has God done in your life? What difference has it made? having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? What answers to prayer have you seen? What's happening in your church community? What's happening here at St. Andrews? These are things that you can talk about, whether you've been in the church for five minutes or 50 years. And if you get a really difficult question, you don't know how to answer it, that's okay. Perfectly acceptable to say to someone, do you know what, I don't have an answer for that, but let me get back to you. Then talk to someone else in the church who, who might be able to help you. And then Go and resume the conversation. That's the more evangelistic end of the scale. Uh, but self-consciousness can also hold us back from discipling others within the church. We might feel that we lack the, mis- uh, the Christian maturity to disciple others. Again, anyone can be involved in discipleship, and we all should be involved in discipleship. I would love every member of this church to be involved in a hub or a small group because although there's usually a leader or leaders, that's an environment uh, where we play a part in discipling the other members of the group. As it says in uh, Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's why it's so crucial that we get together as Christians. We encourage one another, build each other up. And over the years, I've been encouraged, prayed for, built up, strengthened, educated, and enlightened, often by people who have only been in the church five minutes. It's a great environment for that, hubs, small groups. Every Christian is called to be a disciple maker. Every Christian has a part to play in this. Do not believe the lie that you don't know enough, that your life is still too messy, that you're not worthy that you're inadequate. Actually, we are all inadequate, but Jesus makes up for that. We'll come to that in a moment. If you can read a Bible story to a child, you can be a disciple maker. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, then uh, discipling your children and grandchildren is the most important God-given calling that you have. There's nothing more important than that. If you can pray for someone you can be a disciple maker. If you can talk about something that God has done in your life, you can be a disciple maker. If you can set a godly example by the way you live your life, you can be a disciple maker. That doesn't mean being perfect, but someone might see something that has changed about you, something that's different. Do not let self-consciousness hold you back. 
The next ob obstacle that I'm going to talk about is lethargy. And this is the last one. I'm just talking about time, self-consciousness, and lethargy. I think there are other obstacles, but uh, perhaps these are the main ones. So, uh, frankly, uh, a lot of Christians can't be bothered with disciple-making. It's not a priority for them at all. If we don't make discipleship a priority, it's going to be very hard for us to stay in this race. After a while, we may start to feel a bit bored with church or Christianity. And having a line and watching sport on a Sunday morning is going to become more and more appealing. Why? Because we'll be lacking one of the most exciting and important aspects of our relationship with God. The fact that we are to be God's hands and his feet in the world. God acts in the world through us. We don't allow ourselves to be that conduit. Our faith is, is, well, as James says, faith without works is dead. Our faith will only really come alive when we engage in some way in this mission of making disciples and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We can't get disillusioned about the Christian life if we've never engaged in disciple-making. Because that is the Christian life. Yes, it all stems from love, adoration, worship, prayer, hearing from God through his word, the Bible, essentially our personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But we can't have that kind of relationship with God and it not overflow in some way into disciple-making. If there is no disciple-making element to our faith, we kind of have to ask ourselves, well, where am I at with my walk with God? There's that overflow. If up till now making disciples hasn't been a priority, that's okay. We can repent. We can decide that we're going to engage with this in some way and experience the fullness of life that Jesus offers. And again, I want to reiterate, this, this doesn't mean... You know, we've got to suddenly carve out two days a week to do discipleship. Just having it in mind that we want to tell the story of God's love and having that, that in mind when we're interacting with people, when we're on our way to work, when, when we're praying, to think how, you know, just saying to God, please use me today. Help me to see how I can be of service to you today. Just starting the day with that prayer can completely transform the interactions that we have over the course of the day. How can I be used by God today? Look for those opportunities, because they are there. And if it still all sounds a bit daunting, remember that Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, and before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus knew that his disciples, that his followers, were not capable of making disciples in their own strength. And that is probably how most of us feel and how we should feel. That I don't think I can do this. And that's fair enough. We can't on our own. Jesus didn't want his followers to go anywhere or do anything until they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, which, of course, happened on the day of Pentecost, when all the believers were filled with the Spirit 
at the same moment. They were filled with the same spirit that will empower us if we'll allow them to. Jesus is with us by his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will guide us and help us to manage our time, to make the most of the God-given opportunities that actually come to us every day. The Spirit will help us to grow in knowledge, wisdom, and confidence, and help us to see what our role is in this disciple-making process at any given period of our lives. And if the main obstacle is lethargy and lack of passion, we can ask the Holy Spirit to imbue us with a deep desire to make Jesus' priorities our priorities. Even if you're hearing this message and you think, yeah, it sounds good, I'd kind of like to do it, but I just don't feel that's where I'm at. Wanting to be at that point of wanting to make disciples is a good start. Ask, you know, pray into that. Jesus has given us a mission and a purpose. He's conferred his authority upon us. He's given us access to his power, and he's promised to be with us always. If we want to live life in all its fullness, if we want our faith to come alive, if we want to do something of eternal significance, then we must engage wholeheartedly in this great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear this commission, and it does sound daunting. It does sound difficult. Uh, we come up with objections in our minds as to why we, we can't do it, as to why we can't engage, as to why we can't play some part. But we pray, Father, that you will help us to overcome all those things and to make disciple-making a priority. Help us, Father, to see the opportunities that you give us every day to tell a story of your love, to set a godly example to those around us, to sow some knowledge or wisdom or some seed of, of faith. Help us, Father, to uh, take the responsibility of discipling our children and young people, um, and that's something, again, for the whole church. Father, we pray for your help with all of this, and we pray that you'll give us a real passion for disciple-making and a deep desire to make Jesus' priorities our priorities. Help us with this as we begin this year. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.